Hello, and welcome to Neurotives, a podcast where each episode we examine how neuroscience is depicted in a work of fiction, and then afterwards we talk about the real-world science behind it. I'm Stephen Ho, and with me is Nick Halper. Say hello, Nick. Hello, Stephen. Hello. This week, we will be talking about the Black Mirror episode, Men Against Fire. And uh, this is going to be a little bit weird for me, because in most cases... You know, we watch this piece of media or content and then we're like, oh, man, this device is so sweet. This device rules. Man, isn't neuroscience awesome? (laughs) And that is not the energy that this episode of Black Mirror gives. Yeah, uh, super surprising that a Black Mirror episode didn't end up being uh, positive. It's going to be very weird to just turn around and be like, sweet neural implant, man. <laughs> God, they, they nailed it. Like, we, we wish we could all have this. That That's not really what the series creators are going for, and that's not what this episode delivers. No. Black Mirror is a sci-fi anthology series. Uh, that is, every episode is a standalone. There are no multiple episode story arcs, and most episodes have different casts throughout the series. It has large themes of dystopian effects of technology. The quote from the creator Charlie Brooker is, if technology is a drug, and it does feel like a drug, then what precisely are the side effects? This area between delight and discomfort is where Black Mirror, my new drama series, is set. The Black Mirror of the title is the one you'll find on every wall, on every desk, in the palm of every hand, the cold, shiny screen of a TV, a monitor, a smartphone. I have to confess something. Um, I've been lying to a lot of people about Black Mirror and my interaction with it. Okay, let's hear your lies, Stephen. So I knew that Black Mirror was a thing, and I knew that it had dystopian themes of technology and all that, but I'd never actually seen an episode. But anytime there was something that seemed vaguely dystopian or Orwellian in terms of tech, I'd be like, oh, it's like, it's like that Black Mirror episode. And people would just go along with it. They would just be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is. I, I saw that episode. <laughs> Not once did I get called out on this, ever. I had never watched an episode of Black Mirror until I watched it for this podcast. This was your first episode, and it is not a happy one. No. I mean, none of them are, but this one's particularly bad. Yeah, this is the only episode I've seen, but uh, spoilers. I think any episode that involves ethnic cleansing is not a fun time. Uh, and that's not to say it's not well made, and that's not to say that it isn't well executed, because clearly it is, because it just like depressed the hell out of me. Mm. It was like it was not enjoyable. <laughs> it was a punch to the gut. Yeah, it was a it was a tough episode to watch. I mean, especially we'll get into it, but especially near the very end, it was a uh, particularly challenging. The episode is Men Against Fire, season three, episode five. So we before we jump into it. Um, I actually wanted to talk about this episode's title, because uh, when I first saw the title, Men Against Fire, I it was kind of weird to me. I didn't exactly understand what it meant. And so I had to look it up, and it's actually based on a book titled Men Against Fire, The Problem of Combat Command, which was published in 1947, so a bit after World War II. And what that book was about was a kind of retrospective look at soldiers in World War II who were on the front lines but never shot their rifle, even though they were there in the action. The book kind of goes into um, their psyche and how you might overcome that problem. Right, and so that is basically the entire motivation for um, a large piece of this episode uh, or a large part of the tech in this episode. So... Um, We begin with a soldier waking up in a barracks from a dream. There is a woman and in front of a house. Then it cuts between him in bed and this kind of idyllic suburban scene. His finger's kind of twitching, and that's going to be a recurring theme in the um, recurring motion that we'll see throughout the episode. He wakes up from the dream. Um, The soldier, and this is a fun fact here, Nick, um, the soldier is played by Malachi Kirby. There was a recent remake of the miniseries Roots, and Malachi Kirby played Kunta Kinte, which makes the second character we've highlighted in this series, who was played by an actor who also played Kunta Kinte, LeVar Burton, who famously wore the visor as Jordi LaForge, also having played Kunta Kinte in the original uh, 1982 series of Roots. So 
Mm-hmm. That's a fun little Easter egg there, I guess. Anyways, they are briefed on a mission where they have to hunt roaches. The, they don't really elaborate too much on what these are, but if they're nicknamed roaches, we can be pretty sure that they're not pleasant in any, in any sort of way. Mm-hmm. But you also uh, quickly realize that these roaches are at least intelligent. The soldiers are gearing up to fight them. They're uh, no ordinary cockroaches. Right. And so they get to a village and they talk to the villagers there. And um, and the Netflix subtitles, they say when the villagers are speaking, they say man or woman speaking Danish. And so it, it's weird because this is kind of meant to be in a um, indeterminate anywhere, right? It, it's not important. Right. But just reading the subtitles, which, yes, I'm one of those people. I watch everything with subtitles on no matter what. It's really kind of weird to be like man speaking Danish because it just feels odd, because clearly they are in Denmark. Anyways, um, that aside, they get to a village, and the villagers report that food stores were attacked by these roaches, and they converse in English with the help of this translator, which is actually a, the, kind of the first thing that I'm latched onto here. They, the soldiers speak in English. The translator then translates it into, I guess, Danish, <laughs> which is then like played through a speaker somewhere. Mm-hmm. And when the villagers speak to them, then the translator like plays it back to the soldiers in English. And it's a really interesting um, approach to the idea of a universal translator um, where in most sci-fi, it's just like hand waved by saying like everybody speaks in English, even though everyone's really speaking their own Mm -hmm. language, they just hear it all. And there's no like actual intermediary. This is like the universal translator where it actually has to do translating and like speak it out to different parties. Yeah, and I think this is kind of funny given the level of technology that we see in other places in the episode. Uh, but I think this is used uh, kind of as you're talking about here as a foreshadowing tool uh, towards the ethnic cleansing that we see later in the episode. Just saying, you know, we're dealing with extremely different groups of people here with different cultural backgrounds. Right. So the villagers are, they just, they're terrified of these roaches. You know, they make it clear that you know, the food that was stolen, even though there's some left over, they're just going to burn it. And um, they tell them that the roaches can be found with someone named Heidecker, who is a roach sympathizer. And it's at that point when the soldiers get into their truck. I should probably mention that the main character's name is Stripe. Uh, or he's referred to as Stripe. His name—I don't think they ever give his first name, but his last name is Koinange. Mm-hmm. But he's basically universally referred to as Stripe. When they're all in the truck, that's when we're introduced to the mass system. Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we're introduced to this mass system? Uh, so I think the first time we see the mass system is when they're heading out to combat with the roaches, and. The, the way that it's introduced is kind of as a, a combat aid or a communication aid, I should say, where each of the soldiers um, is actually getting an updated field map from their commander. And it's, it's a visual overlay with this kind of like shared hologram experience. Um, and so we quickly realize that the system is deeply ingrained and relatively complex. It's basically almost like an augmented reality style thing because mm-hmm. you see Stripe like reach into his field of view where that it's basically almost like a video game HUD. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's like a video game menu and he reaches and he like, and he like dissolve his arm like dissolves through it. Right. I mean, it's pretty cool, <laughs> which again, it feels like bad to say that with what we're going to learn about this, but it is pretty freaking cool. So the truck, the truck conversation reveals that back home, they had millions of roaches and they were able to bring this problem under control in two years. And the soldiers are kind of complaining because they're like, oh man, there's what, how many, like a thousand here maybe, and they're still fighting them there. And then that particular line will become much more horrifying when we learn what we're going to learn later in this episode. They arrive at the raid site and then they meet Heidecker. You know, knowing that Heidecker is a sympathizer, she just kind of monologues about how the roaches aren't human anymore. They're a menace. You know, they have to make the hard choice to kill them. And this is these are kind of some of the first indications that like maybe not all is quite as it seems here. She's laying it on a bit thick. Yeah, yeah. There's also some interesting religious undertones to this scene because she actually refers to his faith as a reason he might try to protect these 
things which may be seen as downtrodden or afflicted individuals, suggesting that they might have once uh, been human or human-like and giving him a reason to uh, protect them. Right. And I don't know whether this is kind of how everyone else understood this, but my reference was, okay, this is kind of like Walking Dead. They're like Walking Dead zombies or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, maybe a little more intelligent because they have to organize to fight them. But they, the episode is dropping hints at you, so to not take this at face value. So the soldiers search the house, and Stripe, while he's looking behind a curtain, he runs into a bunch of roaches hiding behind a curtain. And they are just these horrible, like monstrous looking things. Um, they basically look like, I mean, they do look basically like zombies. They're, uh, they have deformed faces. They're, they have sharp teeth. They're, they're feral. It's. Yeah, they're pale white and have these black slit like eyes. I mean, very monstrous. When you see them, they're very scary. Yeah. I, I mean, you see these and you're like, yeah, this thing needs to die. <laughs> I mean, and they scream, right? Like, monstrous monstrous screams right one unusual thing is one of them waves this uh weird blinking device at at you it's a cylinder with a light on the end of it and the end he waves it uh in front of stripe before stripe then kills him so stripe shoots one and then there's a brutal fight uh and he manages to stab another one and everyone is just like sweet good job you killed two you killed two roaches you bagged two roaches great job then um, another one of the soldiers, uh, Raymond, I think is her name. Is that her name? Yeah, I think they just call her Ray for short. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Raymond, um, she uh, hints, uh, you know, you're going to have some sweet dreams tonight or you're going to have a treat tonight. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into a little bit what that means. Does that happen directly after this? Yeah, so he ends up having a dream here that I guess I would call sensual. <laughs> Not like explicitly pornographic, but um, during this dream, he he starts to experience artifacts, or I guess what I would call technical glitches of some sort. Right. It's like it's almost like um, when you were watching like, uh, I mean, gosh, it's been so long since I've seen anything on VHS, but like sometimes there's dust on the magnetic tape. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like if that happened, there would be like a, a glitch on the screen. It's almost like that over and over again. And then over the next day, he's. He continues to receive congratulations and um, accolades for having killed roaches. And then during physical training and just throughout his day, he just experiences odd things, you know, things that just aren't quite right. He, you know, hears a ringing in his ear along with a few other physical symptoms and he goes in for a checkup, but the doctor gives him a clean bill of health regarding him and his implant. He also then goes to see a psychiatrist where um, the psychiatrist talks a little bit about you know his experiences during that fight, killing the roach, and how it made him feel. And the psychiatrist basically says, "Well, I I, I think you're fine. Let's just um, let's make sure you have a really good night again." <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's important to highlight here that the psychiatrist um, effectively asks him whether he feels any remorse doing this, kind of probing into seeing if he actually feels bad about this, and. Of course, he answers no. Uh, he's not worried about that. He's just worried about his implant glitching because it messed him up during a training drill earlier. And you know, he's he actually ends up being rewarded for this this line of thought. So the next evening, um, on the psychiatrist's prescription, and it's very clear that the psychiatrist like actively did this because, as he's saying, "We're going to make sure you have a good night" or something to that effect. He's playing around with. Uh, he's playing around on his screen which makes it very clear that he's in complete control of whatever is about to happen next. So that evening on the psychiatrist's prescription, he has another erotic dream, but this time it's much more explicit. It's effectively just virtual reality pornography that um, has been shot in a way such that it is appropriate for our, for television. Yeah, I have to say, um, I do understand this part was supposed to be, I guess, sexual. <laughs> But it was uh, actually, I just found it really disturbing. Um, so it's the same dream, basically, with the the same girl you saw before, who seems to be special of him, uh, special to him. But there's actually like seven of her. And so that's like the ultimate kind of glitch in the matrix, right? Where it's becoming clear that whatever is causing this dream, something's not quite right there, because we assume that's not the dream that he wants to be having. Yeah, I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, like. When I saw this, I I thought like, well, this 
this is super buggy. I don't know what's going on. So after this dream, oh, right. And I think that there's also a shot where they zoom out from the barracks as they pan down the uh, bunks. They also show everyone else's um, hand twitching with that same subtle twitch that you see right at the beginning. Yeah. So they're all sleeping in this position, which is also a little bit odd. Yeah. So they're already starting to throw some hints at you that this neural implant, it's its maybe a method of control more so than it is a way to maximize you know, a soldier's abilities or facilitate information transfer, which is kind of the way we've seen it before. Yeah, I think this is where we kind of get to see that this thing is all-encompassing, or like, it's affecting many different areas of their lives. If And also, if you're basically literally anybody but me, um, this isn't your first Black Mirror episode, so you also kind of know the deal. So, <laughs> like this, <laughs> you know, these, these are all kind of starting to add up to something. The next day, they go out on patrol, Stripe can hear birds, and he can smell grass, which he specifically calls out to Ray. Before Ray can really kind of process that and they can discuss what it means, uh, their squad leader, Medina, is shot by a sniper and killed. Raymond and Stripe, they locate where the building, where the shot came from, and then they storm the building where they where the shot came from. As they're going room to room, kind of clearing the building, they see some weird machinery and instruments. They're not quite sure what to make of it. The camera lingers long enough on it so that the viewer is informed that this is going to be something important at some point. Stripe sees a woman and just an ordinary human woman and lets her go. She says, he and you know, he says, run, go. There's there's roaches here. Now you gotta get out of here. Yeah, this is on the back of a scene where we kind of skipped over earlier which is this kind of long talk about how it's really not okay to kill civilians and it's something you'll actually regret forever. Oh, that's right. Okay, yes. So let me actually back up a little bit. When they are in the original encounter where they find roaches, Raymond is extremely incensed at Heidecker because, you know, they did find roaches there and is extremely incensed that Heidecker was harboring them and she threatens to shoot him in the head for doing so. And Stripe, having just gotten back from shooting two roaches, or rather shooting one roach and stabbing another, he talks her down, at which point she assures him that, oh, I was just kidding, I wasn't going to shoot him, ha ha ha. And um, he basically just said what Nick said, like, you you can't come back from this, you're going to remember this forever. So Stripe sees this woman, and he tells her, you gotta go, you gotta go. As she leaves the room, and she's hesitant in all of this, which is um, a little bit weird, kind of at, at face value, it's strange, right? Because you would think she'd just be wanting to book it. Yeah. She's a little, at first a little bit like not quite sure what to make of it, and then just like leaves. And as she leaves the room, she is immediately shot, and Raymond walks by, and just completely casually, not, it's like she literally doesn't even give it give it a second thought and stripe is obviously very upset at this he's not quite sure what to make of this and as he follows her he sees her continuing to do this continuing to gun civilians down and shooting them yeah like there's some crazy scene when she walks into her room to start shooting a crowd of them basically yep stripe sees raymond continuing to gun people down and he stops her and knocks her out cold but in this whole sequence she's able to shoot him Stripe drives away with the survivor. Uh, they flee. Um, it is a woman and her son. And eventually he passes out and he wakes up in a cave where he doesn't know what's going on at all. I, complete, I mean, understandably, he doesn't know what's going on at all. Stripe does not know what's going on at all. And he is informed by the woman that she is a roach that she and her son are both roaches, or what he thinks are roaches, and that his implant changes the perception so that they see these ordinary human beings as monsters. And all that tech that we saw earlier when the soldiers were going room to room, that was them building something to interfere with their implant so that he could see them as human, and the roach that waved that uh, weird light thingy in his face, that was one of the inventors, and that was him using that disruption device. That is what has been causing all these glitches over the past you know, few days with his implant. Right. And I think there's a couple of points here that she highlights because 
she highlights both this visual aspect, right? One of the first questions she asks him when he wakes up is, can you see me? Because she's confused that he's not disgusted by her, basically. But then he goes on to say that roaches can't speak, so she couldn't possibly be a roach. And that's when she kind of explains this situation. Right. And um, like Malachi Carby does just a great job of just being completely confused and completely upset by this news because the implications of this are obviously terrible. He knows what he did to those roaches and now learning that that they're actually all humans. Now, there's something unusual here that I actually want to call out, which is he asks her in this whole discussion, obviously we've condensed this um, condensed this exchange and we're paraphrasing it somewhat, but it is this whole longer discussion. And part of that is he asks, what do the civilians back home see? What do normal people see? And she tells him explicitly, they see roaches as they are, as human beings. Right. So of course, his next question is, then why did they hate you? And she says it's because they do what they've been told. Basically, they've been told the roaches are monsters and so they treat them like monsters. And I think that's probably, like, the worst part of this, the idea that just, like, the general population could accept literal ethnic cleansing, literal genocide, and just not be concerned about it, just be completely accepting of it. Like, the human aspect of this is, is, is like, a million times more, like, upsetting to me than the misuse of tech in some ways. Yeah, it points to a very huge uh, propaganda campaign, which I guess we hear about a little bit later. And during all of this, uh, during the discussion, um, where there are scenes kind of cut into this of Raymond tracking them down because, you know, um, Stripe knocked her out, but he didn't kill her. She was able to see them drive away. And so I don't think it's too much of a stretch with all the tech that's in these soldiers' heads. They could be tracked very, very easily. So she tracks them down while Stripe is just so very, very upset and distraught at what he's learned. He's just horrified. And so, you know, they do not hear Raymond coming. Raymond storms their hideout, immediately shoots the woman and her son, and knocks out Stripe. And that is the last we see of Raymond before we transition to Stripe waking up in just a blank cell where he speaks with uh, the psychiatrist from before, who is named Arquette. So Arquette apologizes to him. Uh, he tells them that there was indeed a malfunction in the mass implant that they did not, uh, that they failed to notice in the diagnostic. And he apologizes for that. <laughs> yes, he's, he, he is very apologetic about it. And then he explains the truth about the mass devices, that it's intended to make sure that soldiers do not hesitate to fire lethally. You know, he talks a little, he basically um, gives a Cliff's Note version of what Nick mentioned before the, before we got into the episode summary here, where soldiers were unwilling to fire. And then he mentions that there were some measures to address this, but then they found out that even if they did fire, they just got PTSD afterwards, which is also a problem. And so he makes the case for, you know, this mass implant being the solution to that, where it's doing a favor for the soldiers. They can do their job in the way that they're being asked to. They do not have to suffer the mental health consequences of what they're being asked to do. Yeah, I mean, he kind of touches here on, or he kind of gives a quick recap of some of the things that Mass is capable of doing, or how it helps in these ways. So, of course, he covers the intel and comms and targeting and the kind of training aspects for the soldier. But he also mentions how it's easier to shoot the boogeyman. How if you take away the scent of battle and the sounds and senses like screams, it just makes it that much easier to pull the trigger which is disturbing. But he also emphasizes kind of critically that he says the future of mankind depends on wiping out this enemy. And so empathy is not actually compatible with this future. Yeah, he goes on to this whole spiel about, he, he, he basically lays out a case for eugenics. He basically says the roaches, they have subpar IQ, they are prone to all of these genetic disorders. Uh, it's, it's basically just a bunch of negative traits that he just lays out there. And he says, is this what you want for humanity? Do you want, do you want these traits to be passed on? Is this what you want for your children? Like, we, this, this is why we do what we have to do. And that's where he gives the really impactful line. The job of Stripe for the soldiers is to protect the bloodline of the world, which is chilling. 
I mean, it's it's I I mean, it's just like literal Nazi stuff. Yeah. Like there's the show is done being coy. Like <laughs> they're like they they may as well have just like put up a freaking swastika in that in that cell for all that they were worth because there's no more subtlety about this. It's straight up this society is evil. They are literal Nazis. They are doing literal ethnic cleansing. Right. And then to stack this evil on evil he gives stripe two choices here and they're not very nice choices (laughs) so he's given two choices uh one is incarceration with his memories intact and the other choice is for him to have his memory wiped and of the events of the last few days and he'll have his implant reset and fixed back to factory settings and he will continue his life as a soldier completely as it was up until 48 hours ago or whatever it was I think there's a few interesting things to highlight here. Uh, First off, when you say with his memories intact, in some ways you actually mean super intact because what they reveal here is that when he got his mass implant, they erased his memory of consenting to get it because they were going to explain to him what to do. But for that to be effective, they had to erase that memory. And it seems like similarly, like many, many, the memory of killing the roaches has been tampered with effectively because he saw them just as monsters. And this guy revealed to him, like he basically played back to him the same event in that raid, but with the filters removed. And it's just like very, very horrific. And that is what he would be getting stuck with is an incarceration, not just the knowledge that he has now, but also kind of a reworking of all of his past life events. Right. And he's, and, and that's really part of, uh, Arquette trying to build the case of the mass implant really being a good thing for the soldiers. I think he says, I, I forget what the line is, but he says something like, you know, mass is mercy or mass is bliss or something like that before he replays the memory for him. And another thing I wanted to note here is that it almost seems like Stripe is the Stripe we see um, who is, you know, being recruited as a soldier. And again, this is like only like 30 seconds of footage or whatever, but that stripe seems very different from the stripe we have seen throughout this episode. Yeah, I don't know if it's just like the military basic training um, that changes the character into one you see now, or if it's something about the implant itself, but those are different people. Yeah, and it's, um, again, it's unclear to me whether it's, you know, maybe trauma or just, or, I mean, is the idea that like you just, the your time having this mass implant is just like a black box. You just go in and then when you're done with your service time, you're just back to the same person. And like, is that the idea? Cause it almost seems like that because you're right. He, he almost does seem like a different person. And then like when he's done, he just goes back to being that same person without the implant. Stripe gets increasingly agitated because he's being just shown these horrific images of what he did to what he now knows are people. I think I kind of glossed over uh, the fight a little bit earlier, but his knife fight with that with that roach, it's it's pretty brutal. I mean, it, it is a visceral fight. He stabs him multiple times. He kind of like goes berserk almost. And it's just like blood spatter everywhere as he just like, you know, is fighting for his life and stabbing him over and over again. It is not pleasant. Yeah, even when it's the monsters that are rushing for him, it was still uncomfortable. So seeing that same playback with the filters removed is, is especially disturbing because I mean, not to dig too much into it, but you get to see these kind of just really fearful, compliant and scared facial expressions of these people that the soldiers have just mowed down. And it's really very disturbing to watch. Yep. And so Stripe is just, he's very, very distraught at being forced to relive these. And he, starts getting increasingly aggressive towards Arquette. And then as he kind of lunges at Arquette, Arquette just presses a button and all of a sudden Stripe cannot see anymore. He's like, "Where? what happened? What did you do? I can't see anything. It's at that point, if it hasn't already been made clear, it becomes crystal clear the extent to which like this implant dictates everything about Stripe, everything he perceives, every single one of his senses. You know, the, He's already kind of, touched on being able to hear birds and smell grass earlier. And now Arquette at the touch of a button simply just makes him blind. 
Right. And so we kind we end with uh, a, a sudden cut to Stripe walking up to a rundown house in full dress uniform. Tears are running down his cheeks and it kind of flashes uh, and cuts between what we presume is his perception of that house, which is a very nice house. It's it's that it's that house from the beginning. Yeah, the opening scene, except there's a welcome home banner about the front door now. Yeah, and then it, it flashes between that nice, pleasant imagery and the reality, which is that it is just this rundown house with graffiti all over it and and in a not nice neighborhood. So, I mean, it's a it's an ambiguous ending in in many ways. I want to know what you thought that ending meant. Did which which choice do you think that ending indicated that he took? Yeah, it's a good question because I I do think it appears ambiguous and it's kind of funny that we both got that ambiguous feeling from it because objectively what we're seeing is that Stripe is experiencing a different reality than what he's actually seeing, which would suggest that he still has that mass implant in. And I don't know if this is a dream sequence or if this is, I guess, just showing you there's an actual reality there. So I suppose it's not a dream but it's an odd sequence because it doesn't really fit into some of the typical functions of the mass implant that he'd kind of been shown before, which was primarily for combat and control. In this case, he actually seems to have actually gone home. It's just that his home is gone. And the mass implant people or whatever his controllers are like treating him to a nicer image for some reason. And I don't know why. I mean, my takeaway from this was that this means he asked to have his memory wiped. Mm-hmm. Because that feels like it's probably most in line with what the episode wants us to take away. Yeah. But at the same time, it also feels a little odd because it's like, well, if he just got his, if he just got his like memory wiped, and you know, everyone's none the wiser for it. Why not just have him be a war hero? Right. Yeah. So that was Men Against Fire, uh, episode five of season three of Black Mirror. Pretty bleak. <laughs> Yeah, but a lot of interesting science to unpack here. So there's that. Yeah. You know, it in a, in some ways like okay, so when I was in college, I remember one of my roommates was like watching Lord of the Rings and he was just like, "Man, orcs the entire idea of orcs or goblins is just like so weird. It's just like this race of people that are essentially inherently evil because they exist." And you can just kind of like kill them and not feel bad at all about it. And obviously, like in some fantasy settings, you know, in tabletop settings and such, you, you know, there are orcs are not necessarily inherently bad, but in the Lord of the Rings universe, they are. Right. And it basically, it's basically like Black Mirror. They they manufactured their own orcs, so you could just so they could have their soldiers just kill them indiscriminately and not even give it a second thought. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy for it. Why don't we start unpacking the um, neuroscience about this? There's a lot to go off of here because there's a, the mass implant does a lot of things. Yeah, everything really. Pretty much, yeah. You know, there's kind of the augmented reality, like the visual aspect of it, where, where it's basically just like a heads-up display. Um, presumably, you know, either somehow being projected to like you know your cornea i guess is probably the easiest way you could do it yeah it's true Uh, so i called it a visual overlay earlier uh but to uh, i think your point on it being augmented reality is a little bit better uh, because the fact that his hand can pass through these images means that they're kind of placed in front of him in 3d space and i think there's also a point in the episode where somebody kind of like manipulates them by hand in some way and so it does suggest that it's like not just a complete overlay into the retina, though. Uh, though I guess we should get into that because there's some weird things they show on their eyes, like the lenses of their eyes. Uh, but I guess c- it could be something actually in the visual cortex or deeper, or maybe both. Uh, we can pick it apart, I guess. My kind of thought was that it's almost—it's basically just something something projected onto the lens of your eye. You know? Yeah. There's a few different scenes where people are shown, uh, like in the base, uh, when they're seeing like visual overlays. And it doesn't seem like their eyes look too different. But when they're getting these kind of full sensory overlays, like when the commander is piloting the drone, for example, or when Stripe is reliving past memories, they get this gray tint over their entire eye, which suggests that maybe there's actually some sort of like blocking of light and displaying of images through the implant in the lens. 
or whatever. So I think you might be right. Um, there is a lot of evidence towards it being some sort of projection directly onto the retina instead of a, a cortical implant. Yeah, and then like um, I think the point where the commander is kind of manipulating that's the that's like the when they're going over the house diagram before they're about to do the raid on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think another part of this is that clearly these implants all kind of communicate with each other because in order for that map, she's manipulating the map, right? It's being manipulated for everyone unless it's some sort of like hologram, right? Which again, would not necessarily be out of the realm of what the tech in this undetermined year is. Yeah. I, uh, but I think I agree with you. It seems to be some sort of shared visual overlays. Uh, there's a wireless communication and retinal projection and maybe there's some like proprioception body stuff where it's like I can tell where my hand is relative to my visual field kind of thing going on. So there's a lot even just to the vision component. So let's talk about the porn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, so it's it's a little odd to me. Maybe like this is how they get everyone to sign up and give up their memories. It's like, oh, you'll have to like shoot people and you have to give up your memories, but you get to have really explicit and really vivid sex dreams. <laughs> you know, you you sell that to like, you know, an 18-year-old kid with who you know, who maybe doesn't have uh, many other options. I think a lot of people are going to go for it. Yeah, I mean, it's at least a really concrete incentive. It's it's definitely there. <laughs> yeah. So on a more realistic note, how would this happen? And this kind of gets into where I know a, a little bit less about it because it's more on the like biochem side of it as well. As well as um, we don't necessarily understand dreams super, super well. What I imagine is that like, this implant also has like biofactories in it that can manufacture mm. peptides mm -hmm. or and and various protein and various neurotransmitters. And so to induce these dreams, I mean there's, you know, there's there's evidence to suggest that certain neurotransmitters encourage a state where dreams are more likely to happen. It's it's certainly no large stretch to think that oh, okay, the psychiatrist can program this implant to release the uh, dream encouraging neurotransmitters or dream encouraging pharmaceuticals and then say okay go do your thing sweet dreams i'm not necessarily clear on how this would result in you know specific imagery is there a specific like pharmaceutical cocktail that will result in you know one dream versus another i mean i don't i don't think i don't think we've seen that any evidence of that yet necessarily um, but there's also not a lot of study, I guess, in attempting to manipulate dreams just because, I mean, I don't think there's a ton of value that we can recognize there yet. And I have to wonder if you just can stimulate visual cortex, for example, or activate specific areas of the visual cortex, just because we've already shown that they have that level of control for visual kind of imagery. Could you not just force imagery during something like REM sleep? Right. And I guess... Part of that, the reason I don't have an answer to that is because I don't understand like the processing pathway for dreams. Are there certain parts of visual cortex activated during dreams? So it's as if you're actually visualizing information. Um, I guess whether that information is nice and well organized or not is hard to tell because there's this kind of theory of dreams that the brain is basically just noisy and that like higher order areas of cognition attempt to interpret that noise later. And that's where we get this kind of like random content that we see. Uh, so I guess we don't really know whether the visual cortex information is organized into like true images or not. Uh, but we do know that the visual cortex is active during REM sleep. Okay, so basically what we're coming around to is that maybe through pharmaceutical means you induce the brain into a deeper rapid eye movement sleep, which is uh, conducive to dreams and then manipulate those dreams using the large level of control that they've demonstrated that they have with the implant. Maybe, and this could just be my neurotech bias, <laughs> um, but I, I guess I just don't know how you'd get so specific with pharmaceuticals. I think it has to be imagery because they basically just like show her, like, like in between dream night one and dream night two, they basically, same dream, they just remove her clothes. <laughs> 
just like tweak the dosage just a little bit. Oh yeah, but it's like <laughs> just uh, one less milligram of whatever, one less part per million of this, and uh, you got one less uh, negligee on this chick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, okay. I mean, the only reason I kind of focused on, on pharmaceuticals was because there, there is some evidence to suggest that suggests that neurotransmitters can induce a sleep level that is, that is conducive to dreams, which is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of ground this in some real life <laughs> to some extent. So yeah, no, I, 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 I get, I get what you're saying. So I want to move on to how they would actually potentially manipulate his recognition of people into roaches instead so the facial disturbing the appearance of the roaches yes and it seems again it it seems odd to like enjoy or get into any aspect of this because just the themes of this episode are so dark and awful but um this leads me into actually one of my favorite experiments in neuroscience, which is an experiment that was published in October of 2012. Basically, there was a research participant who was going into the the hospital for epilepsy monitoring so that they could monitor what areas of his brain are active during seizures. And then they implant electrodes to be able to see where the seizures are coming from and then remove that part of the brain. So, and then in most cases, this, the seizures go away after the part of the brain is gone. While he was in the hospital, this, re- this, uh, this patient agreed to have a few extra electrodes put into the fusiform gyrus of his brain, basically another part of his brain. And the experiments that the researchers did were, uh, they stimulated these parts of the brain where they knew had something to kind of do with facial recognition. And he was able to verbalize that as they stimulated, their faces changed and were distorted and metamorphosed right in front of him. Yeah, I was going to say, I think one of the things that's so cool about this paper is that it's, it's really just kind of subjective research in some ways. Because they're kind of just like, uh, let's stimulate this area and see what happens. And then they just kind of record the notes. And so this paper is full of quotes, basically, from this guy or these people, rather, because it was several subjects, um, about the changes that they were seeing. And we're lucky that this guy was so uh, was so descriptive because you know, he's just like, uh, he says, you know, you, your face metamorphosed. You, you're somebody else. Your nose got saggy. It went to the left. It's like, you look like somebody I've seen before, but somebody different. You know, I... Right. All right. Even something, I mean, there's like weird stuff in there. Um, something even like less perceivable about your face. It was almost as like if you were a cat. Um, I think one of the other interesting things about stimulating the fusiform facial area is that you also get kind of the opposite effect, I guess. Uh, what is it called? The pareidolia effect, where you see faces in everyday objects. Oh, yeah. object. Yeah, you, you're able to pull out patterns, like cloud watching, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so, like, this, like, emphasizes the effect. So people looking at curtains, for example, can see people's faces in the curtains or um, patterns of light on the TV that have started to appear like a face, for example. And so now that we've talked about how cool and awesome this is, uh, let's talk about how it could possibly be used for evil. Right, right. Because good science is good for murder. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, pulling up, being able to recognize objects from like ordinary, from ordinary uh, objects. um, And actually that I actually hadn't thought about this before, but what if the roaches don't look the same to everyone? What if like there what if the ro- what if the roach's appearance isn't defined by the implant? It's just that the implant fudges and smudges and distorts their their appearance just enough. Mm. And again, I'm 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 very glad you mentioned the piece of dialogue where the where the woman um mentions everyone hates us because it's what they're told. You know, they're told nothing else. What if the implant just fudges and smudges their appearance and just the everybody's preconditioning from all the propaganda, their mind just kind of does the rest and they just unconsciously appear as monsters. That's an interesting theory that it's not some sort of like exact science. They're not trying to make them look a certain way. It's just that they're malformed enough to not look human. Uh, and then we kind of, I guess, fill in the things that make that appear evil to us. I, I think that's a really good theory. Um, 
Actually, I think this kind of touches on something I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, related to the episode production at this point. Uh, because uh, during the whole episode, uh, Stripe and the others seeing the roaches as monsters is kind of hidden from us. It's a little bit interesting how they pull off some of this with uh, camera tricks and some of the uh, perspective work that they use. Because it kind of goes into first-person view, and you see it through Stripe's eyes when um, he's coming for the monsters or roaches. And so you never really get a good idea... Um, or view of what other people's views of it are like. And you don't see how, like, Ray sees them, for example. It's all from Stripe's point of view. And so I think that could, like, definitely hold here. I think one of the other things that if we want to challenge this piece a little bit, I guess I'm having a hard time anticipating or imagining how you could get just as much faces on the roaches and not, like, the everyday Slavs. Because there's, like, places where people see both of them, you know, at the same time, and that implies that this implant is somehow able to pick out enemies through some sort of signature or tag or recognition, I guess, of some sort. Well, okay. So do we ever see a Civ Civ and a Roach in the same room? Well, it's not as sensitive, but you see other soldiers, right? But maybe that's a special piece. Right. Right. So, like, because the implants all kind of talk to each other now, maybe... And I, I, I think uh, it's pretty easy for me to imagine that these implants have like an IFF, identify friend foe protocol, <laughs> yeah. where they can kind of talk to each other and say, a soldier is not a roach, don't smudge their faces. Yeah, and we see some evidence of that during the training drill scene, where the implant is helping Stripe to pick out targets and not hit other ones. Right. So, I mean, I do think the the smoking gun to that, to that would be if you were to have civ civs and roaches in the same because you have situations where they're talking to villagers and presumably like somebody could be like this it, given the context none of these are roaches and just not do the thing right and then you go into a combat situation yeah i, I think there's multiple factors you know test elevated heart rate maybe the commander says we're um, we're in combat situation now and they push a button and everybody's implants go into monster mode or something <laughs> monster mode uh, still i think of our current understanding of how this facial area works there's been no evidence that you could selectively smudge one person's face over another if they're both like within your visual field right yeah i mean that's that's definitely true um but in terms of like i mean you know your iphone can pick out what is a face right so so like it could happen, but it couldn't figure unless there were some like very visually distinct like markers of being, you know, of being, uh, I hate to say like roach because the, that's the derisive name for them. Right. But they literally don't like give any clue as to like what actually constitutes them being a roach, like what actual ethnicity they might be. It's just like they just vaguely say they're genetically inferior and kind of like hand wave it that way. Yeah, that's true. I Unfortunately, I have no other word to call them other than roaches, even though it feels like I'm a slur. It called them DNA inferior. Ah, uh, yes, that's much better. Uh, it's possible, I guess, I mean, that you'd have, you can imagine the visual cortex somehow tracks or feeds information into this fusiform facial area, and that maybe you can just stimulate or control subsections of the visual field that get fed into that fusiform area. So it's plausible. Okay. And then the sensory blocking, that's, um, that, so this actually, to me, seems like, and we're going to go into a whole different area and a whole different bag of worms. I don't necessarily want to go super deep down the rabbit hole, but this seems like optogenetics because <laughs> that's the cleanest way that I can think of to just simply turn certain areas of your brain completely off. Yeah, it's true. It definitely is the most efficient way to just completely block cell firing of a certain type. We haven't talked about optogenetics at all uh, yet, and so I'll give a very brief explanation. And part of the reason that it'll be brief is because I am a fraud and do not know very much about optogenetics. <laughs> <laughs> so they inject a virus, which basically turns your neurons into being light sensitive. And so... Yeah, it's actually the same protein that's in your retina, uh, channelrhodopsin. They, inf they infect your neurons with that, and it makes it so that the neurons that are infected with that can be activated or deactivated with certain wavelengths of light. That's why I say it's like literally the cleanest way you can just turn off certain sections of your brain. 
Um, and it's why it's such a promising area of neuroscience, because in behavioral studies and animal studies, you kind of have to fudge your way into getting controls. You kind of have to trick animals into, into control states. And you know, you're often not quite sure whether you've done it in the right way. With optogenetics, you can literally just turn off sections of the brain and study what they are like with them on and off. You can very clearly say this contributes to this. You know, this our part of the brain contributes to this because when I turned it off, it didn't do that. And that level of control is kind of the level of control that Arquette has over Stripe's vision or presumably his hearing and his smell. Right. Yeah, because he's able to effectively block effectively any sense as far as we can tell. And I'm just going to assume he can uh, block pain as well. I mean, we can block pain in real life, so it's like... So, yeah, I agree with the optogenetics theory. I do have to say earlier that we speculated it on being a lens implant or something, where it's kind of just something that um, is in front of your eye. I guess that could be a pretty easy way to block vision. <laughs> <laughs> like the windows that just auto-tint or whatever when you pass current through it. I guess the same thing here. Just like immediately polarizes his cornea and he can't see anything. <laughs> oh, that would be so upsetting. Oh, man. But, I mean, there's still also like the smells and sounds and and, and everything right. else, right? right? And so I think in general, optogenics is probably the best catch-all explanation for how it can do all of those things and shut down all of those things. I don't know. There's there's probably people that know a lot more about optogenetics than I do, but that are probably just like, this, this is ridiculous. What, what the heck is this kid talking about? <laughs> I mean, you can also do blocking stim if you really wanted to, right? So like uh, high-frequency stimulation effectively just blocks neurons without any sort of uh, paresthesia or actual like stimulation or activation of the neuron itself. And I think that's the kind of function behind Nevro's 10 kilohertz uh, pain block stim, for example. So I think it could be opto. I mean, opto definitely gives you the, the cleanest control, but if you wanted it to be electrical, I think somebody could make that for you. And then Nick, you brought up that there's also a lot of memory control. They they're able to completely erase entire blocks of his memory. And indeed, that's one of the options given to him, right? Like have your memory erased and have your implant uh, reset. And so I want to save a deep, deep dive into, you know, certain aspects of memory and the different types of memory, like episodic memory and such for a different episode. But I do want to at least touch on this to some extent. Yeah, I think the main thing to really kind of highlight here is just the breadth of control they have over memory. Because not only do they demonstrate that they can erase past memories, uh, or so I guess maybe a better way to say it is they at least have the capability of not uh, from being able to block you from accessing past memories. So for example, they block him from being able to remember his consent, but they also show that they can restore access to those and they can like remove the filter from his time at the raid implies that they can inject or modify memories, which I think is probably almost like they, they don't actually show it being used for bad things in the episode, but it seems to me like one of the most concerning aspects of the implant if you can just inject false memories. So I actually, I have a question here. What if they were doing it in like a super trivial way or at least the injection of memories? What if the, what they were doing it's demonstrated that they can basically like have they can show anything that they want to in in his visual field now, whether it's this whether it's a map or you know a heads up display what if they're just like playing like an mp4 file on his visual overlay <laughs> <laughs> i mean you actually might be right because i made the assumption they were somehow removing this filter from his memory um, or something like that. But in reality, it seems like they're actually just forcing him to experience it, which is much like what we saw the, in the Visor episode. They could literally just be playing images at your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, maybe actually you're right. Maybe there's no injection capacity here from like a direct access point to the memory circuit, which is like plain old, you're going to listen to this video clip whether you like it or not. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's... I can't decide whether that's worse or not than being being forced to like relive it as a memory. 
I guess it feels as real uh, either way. But at least they, we do know that they have the ability to somehow tamper with bringing back memories. I think that would be the simplest implementation of everything they show on the episode. I think because you actually do form real normal memories about the events, but they somehow block your access to them selectively. And is that a thing we can do? Like, not to my knowledge, we can't, can we? Uh, no, not to specific memories, but I guess you could interfere in general with recall. At least it's easier to disrupt recall than do anything else. Uh, stimulating randomly the memory circuit will probably mess up recall more than likely than not, I suppose. Right. Okay. I mean, I think what strikes me as being the most extraordinary part of this is just the variety of things that can it can do. And I've kind of touched on this before, but I think to some extent it's a it's a um, example of it. This implant does what the script needs it to do. True. Yeah, I guess it kind of does whatever is necessary at the time. Though I guess there's at least some sort of consistency. So, for example, its mission of making the soldier compliant. Right. So there we can kind of infer aspects of its design through that goal, I guess. Right. And so if we kind of put this all together, this is a hell of a device. Like it is, or at least in my estimation, it's at least capable of pharmaceutical delivery and manufacture of peptides, which is a thing that it's, it's, it's a form of therapy that people are looking into. Yeah, whether it be oxytocin or acetylcholine, there's a targeted release of pharmaceuticals uh, through the blood-brain barrier, or ultrasound stuff, or just, you know, intrathecal pumps. That's definitely a thing that's that's happening. So it's a drug delivery system. It's an extraordinarily advanced augmented reality slash visual. I don't necessarily want to say prosthetic because he has no impaired function. Right. So it's it's an augment is what it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It then also is through what we think would be electrical stimulation in certain areas of the brain. Um, And to our best of our knowledge now, possibly the fusiform gyrus. It is something that can mess with your facial recognition. And that could either be just messing with it enough so that you kind of fill in the blanks because you're so brainwashed to believe that these these people are monsters anyways. Or maybe it is advanced enough to actually assign consistently monstrous traits to them and then it's also an optogenetic device Mm -hmm. and then it's something that can modify memory and i don't have an idea of what that would be because i don't think it's something we can really do (laughs) (laughs) yeah far away uh too far away i guess yeah i mean this implies that it definitely has multiple capacities like these different disciplines you're talking about are all within neuroscience um, but it's also just like literally far reaching in the brain. Like it's it's hitting so many different brain regions, potentially even peripheral targets and uh, everything else. Uh, so and just as we saw, maybe even the eyes themselves. So it's it's a multifaceted device uh, for sure. Okay. Um, so normally we do like a comic ranking of this. I don't I don't know whether we do that for this. <laughs> Uh, I think we just give it a one based off just being like a dick move. <laughs> yeah, I think I think maybe that's what we do. Like, I mean, I feel like it earns a one anyway for closeness to reality. Uh, but there's stuff in here that's like even beyond our guess at what we can do over probably the next 20 to 30 years. So it's it's pretty out there. Yeah, so it normally what we do is we rank this on a scale from you know one to five one being the pseudoscience of phrenology being able to discern personality traits and neurological information through literally the bumps and shapes in your of your skull to five being fda clearance for market in the united states that that would not happen with this device (laughs) yeah i i guess do you even really need fda clearance if it's not for medical reasons and just for war uh, i don't know we haven't had that kind of approval yet so yeah we're just gonna go ahead and give this a one from like both of us because not because we didn't like the episode you know i thought it was very much worth watching even though it was very much just a punch in the gut but it was worth watching and it was well made but this device is it it does, like Nick said, it does things where, like, I, I, I'm not even really sure where to start with how it would do that. 
So that brings us to the end of uh, our discussion of this episode of Black Mirror. And thank you so much for joining me, Nick. Uh, it was my pleasure. <laughs> um, normally, we like to give a takeaway message. And it would be easy to go on a long spiel about neuroethics and um, responsible experimentation in neuroscience, but I think we can dispose with that and just go with basic human decency, which is don't commit genocide. Don't don't enable ethnic cleansing. Yeah, I think that should be a pretty low bar for your invention you're considering. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you next time on Narratives. Narratives.